Thanks for joining me on this Cleveland Baseball Morning. The final from Kauffman Stadium in Kansas City. It's the Cleveland Guardians 2, the Kansas City Royals 1. I'm Davey Barris, lifelong Cleveland baseball fan, and I want to talk about the actual game on the field, the thing I enjoy, watching baseball being played. And man, the Guardians make this one interesting. Uh, you know, the storyline, the top storyline of this game should have been should have been the second appearance by Gavin Williams. Uh, you know, a fantastic start by this rookie phenom. It was two former first-round draft picks going up against each other in uh, Gavin Williams for Cleveland and Brady Singer for Kansas City. Uh, I believe Singer was a first-round pick in 2018, I want to say, and Williams, obviously, uh, very recently in 2021. Uh, so two former first round picks going up against each other. And, uh, it frankly was quite a pitcher's duel all night. That should be the top storyline, but it's not because things get nuts in the bottom of the eighth inning onto the end of this game. And that is going to be our top storyline of the game. So we're jumping right into the end. We will go back and talk about Gavin Williams. Uh, we will check in on a few emails, but we got to talk about the end of this game. So uh, let's get into this thing. So bottom of the eighth inning. Now, I'm waiting all night, waiting all night for something to happen. Watched a little bit of the game at the beginning, uh, sitting there on the floor playing with my son, uh, stacking some blocks and watching the game. It was perfect. All right. I got it going. Uh, and the Guardians just can't get anything done. Uh, neither team scores anything. Uh, there's there's nothing happening in this game. Okay. Take the dog outside, bring him back in, assume something probably happened while I was outside, right? Nope, nothing happened. All right, got to put the kid to bed. All right, take him upstairs, put him to bed, come back downstairs, assume I missed something, right? Nope, nobody scores. I was like, all right, it's just going to be one of those nights. Here we go, bottom of the eighth inning. We finally turn things over our bullpen. And uh, Stefan, you know, uh, on Saturday, he pitched great. Uh, a strikeout, uh, two strikeouts and a shutdown uh, eighth inning on Saturday. And then his last two appearances have been rough. He gives up the hit in extra innings. He gives up the double off the wall to Owen Miller uh, in the extra inning game on Sunday. And now he appears here. And uh, gives up immediately a, a double to Edward Oliveres. Uh, it was on, I believe it was on a slider. Let's confirm it for you. Uh, it was a first pitch slider. Really? First pitch again? Um, yeah, first pitch slider right down the middle of the plate. I mean, middle, middle. And he hits a double into the left field corner. 93.7 mile power exit velocity. It only had a 180 expected batting average, but such a huge outfield there in Kansas City. Quan can't get under it. And Olivares is in there with a leadoff double. Now, it looks like it looks like he might shut things down. Uh, against Drew Waters, he gets a strikeout. Uh, attacks the lefty with fastballs. Uh, pounds the uh, lower inside corner against him. He's trying to go... Up and away, and he's trying to go down and in. So he misses up and away, fires one for a call strike down and in. Misses up and away again, fires back down uh, at the knees and gets another called strike. So it's a 2-2 count, and then drops a splitter at the knees down and in. 
and he swings through it for strike three. So big out there, right? You think you're going to strand uh, that runner at second base, maybe not let them get into scoring position. Uh, so that's a huge strikeout right there. It, it gives you a lot of options uh, as a pitcher. Uh, so uh, Olivares decides to take things into his own hands. Uh, i sorry, pinch runner uh, Darren Blanco decides to take things into his own hands and steals third base. Um, Nicky Lopez uh, is your next batter, and uh, he would work it to a... Uh, he'd be behind in the count one and two. Uh, on the fourth pitch of the at-bat, he's forced to chase a splitter down and away and does exactly, exactly what you want with a runner on third. We talk about it all the time. Runner on third, less than two outs. There's so many ways for that guy to score. Well, one of the ways that guy cannot score is if you chop it back to the pitcher. Unless the pitcher makes possibly the worst throw home in baseball history. I mean, made the joke on Twitter. Literally, Stefan tried to throw the game away here. Literally throws the game away. This is the type of throw that when celebrities and fans make, you know, the first pitch of the game and they throw a ball this wide of home plate, it ends up on blooper reels for the rest of the season. That's how embarrassing this throw home was from Trevor Steffen. You could have picked any fan out of the stands, give them the ball at the point Trevor Steffen got it, and they could have made a more competent throw home. Uh, There were probably 90-year-old grandmas that could have made that throw home better than Trevor Steffen did. And, uh, yeah, so he throws it all the way. And then it kind of ricochets off the backstop, and everybody, Bo Naylor jumps on it, but then everybody is very slow to react. The the base runner, Blanco, is slow to react. Steffen is slow to react. Naylor doesn't know what to do with the ball. I've never seen something like this before. And uh, they probably, he probably could have flipped this Stefan, and it would have been a really close play at home plate, except he like triple clutches and decides to just throw down to his brother at first, uh, thinking maybe they'll get that runner off the bag, hanging off the bag. It's one of the more bizarre plays you'll ever see, and it was so deflating that all night, Cleveland's pitching, just dominant. Their defense, just dominant. And to give up a run like this, not like this, don't let the game end like this. Come on, guys. We can't be this incompetent against the worst team in our division to lose one nothing to these guys. Well, your prayers are answered in the ninth inning. So it starts with a Josh Naylor single in the ninth inning. And uh, what a bloop shot. I, I love it. it a 70.6 mile per hour exit velocity. Barlow was keeping everything down, sliders and curveballs. He was up there hacking, chases two sliders down below the knees, finally lays off a curveball, but then goes down and hits an even lower curveball. Uh, 70.6 mile per hour exit velocity, 27 degree launch angle, but it had a 930 expected batting average because it is in no man's land in right field. They don't uh, pinch run for Josh Naylor just yet. Uh, Josh Bell comes up. He strikes out. Um, man, it feels like anytime Bell is up in a big situation, it's guaranteed to be a strikeout below the knees. They get him to chase down there so often. 
Uh, so he works a six-pitch six at-bat, but eventually strikes out. Jimenez would come up and work an eight-pitch at-bat, foul off a bunch of pitches, or two pitches there, uh, six and seven, a four-seam fastball that was middle in, uh, fouls off a slider that was down and in before finally it takes a curveball off the plate for uh, ball four, and it moves Naylor into scoring position. Naylor was trying to steal, uh, especially when this thing got to a full count because Jimenez was in a hitter's count for a while here. He was trying to steal second, and uh, he kept having to go back on these foul balls. I Nobody answered this on Twitter. I asked, uh, what is the pitch clock rule for a runner having to, re- you know, who attempts a stolen base on a foul ball, having to return to first base? Because you, you kind of need the whole play to reset. So, I mean, the pitcher and the batter, the pitch clock kind of starts as soon as the pitcher gets the ball back. Uh, but Naylor was definitely taking his time, definitely catching his wind, walking back to first base. And I just, I, I don't know. I legitimately don't know. Is there a rule that says that runner has to be back or reset at some point uh, in the pitch clock? I don't know. Naylor didn't seem to care very much. Uh, but no pitch clock violations or anything like that. Jimenez draws the walk. We talked about this the other night, right? When he got hit by the pitch. It didn't move any runners up. It didn't affect the game at all. This did. It moved a runner in the scoring position, and it put the go-ahead run on first break, on first base. They do pinch run for Naylor at this point with Gabriel Arias, and it brings up Will Brennan. And they've been talking about Will Brennan all night. The hometown kid, he grew up a half hour from the stadium. He played there in high school. He played in some like showcase games or something like that. But he had never been back as a pro so far. And so he was finally playing at home in front of friends and family. And uh, he was already having himself a good night. Comes up here. Uh, he's got one out in the ninth inning. Two runners on. And uh, they go at him. Uh, same thing as Josh Naylor. Barlow goes at him with breaking stuff, off-speed stuff, down and in. Starts him off with a slider that he fouls off that, frankly, was, I mean, breaking at his knees. Uh, Probably had no business swinging at, but then he comes with a curveball and leaves it just a little bit, catches just the bottom of the strike zone with it, and it's enough for Will Brennan. Turns on it, drives it uh, 93.8 miles per hour past the first baseman, down into the right field corner. Gabriel Arias scores. Andres Jimenez coming all the way around from first and scoring. Remember when we were talking about sprint speed? And uh, I told you that, like, uh, you know, Straw and Tyler Freeman were right near the top of sprint speed, back to back, as far as the Guardians roster goes. Andres Jimenez was actually at the top of that list. He has the best sprint speed. Him and then uh, Ahmed Rosario, then Miles Straw. So Arias flying around the or Jimenez flying around the bases. They don't even make a throw home. He slides in safe at home without a throw. So not only does Will Brennan tie the game up, he delivers the go-ahead RBI in the top of the ninth inning. And I mean, you literally can't ask for anything better for Will Brennan. Uh, Straw would ground out. Uh, Brennan would move up to third, and then Bo Naylor would fly out to right field to end the threat and send this thing into the bottom of the ninth with a uh, 2-1 lead. And then Ari, um, 
Arias stays in at first base, and then Emmanuel Clase goes to work in the ninth inning, and it's all ground balls. Uh, that's what. Uh, that's how you know Clase is going well. Uh, you know, I should say that. Yeah, it was all ground balls. Uh, Prado grounds out to first. Uh, Bobby Wood Jr. grounds out to Ahmed Rosario. Rosario actually has a little trouble getting it out of his glove. He's throwing on the run, and Arias makes a good pick on a, a ball that hops out in front of him. That's kind of what you want as a first baseman. Give me one, either two things as a first baseman. Give me one way out in front that I could just, that comes back up to like waist level. Uh, it's a pretty good pick from Arias there, uh, even though it did give him a nice hop like that. Or give me that one that hops right in front of my glove, and I could do that, you know, that quick scoop and snag it right in front of my glove. Um, those are the two hops I want. Uh, so uh, Arias with a good defensive play here. Melendez would reach on a fielding error by Andres Jimenez. Another ground ball. Jimenez comes charging in on it. I guess it, you know, I guess it takes a weird hop on him. Uh, Les Levine used to always say one of his how come quickies was how come the last hop is the bad one uh, or last hop is the worst. Uh, that's just the way it goes, right? Uh, it looks like it's coming right at Jimenez and then just a little bit variation on that last hop and he can't make the play charging in. But then uh, Garcia grounds out again to a moving Ahmed Rosario throwing on the run and Arias makes a nice snag on a low throw at first base. So four ground balls gets Classe a save in the ninth inning, and gets the Guardians the win. So, I mean, what an exciting exchange there. And again, winning the inning, uh, we did bottom of the eighth to top of the ninth. The Guardians win the inning. So the, the one inning that was up for contest, right? Everything else is zeros up until this point. Uh, frankly, probably, I mean, it was a little bit of an exciting game because the Guardians had runners on base in seven out of nine innings. The Guardians have someone on base and just all night long, you're waiting for somebody to deliver an RBI hit. This team can go so cold. Uh, it's frankly a little, a little hard to watch sometimes. A little embarrassing. Uh, that I mean, plenty of opportunities, plenty of guys on base. What was the final left on base? What was the final with runners in scoring position? I know a lot of these guys get stranded at first base, so it's not going to show up in the runners in scoring position. They were one for six with runners in scoring position. They left seven on base. Um, yeah, I mean, they had their opportunities here uh, at any point in this game to deliver one of these big hits. Uh, Brennan goes three for four on the day, including the double and the two RBIs. Uh, man, he is literally the only one filling up these columns here uh, on the uh, box score. So uh, that was the excitement at the end of the game. And hey, uh, good on Will Brennan. He gets that kind of fun storybook ending. He gets to be celebrated at the end of this game at his hometown. Uh, gets the big Andre Not interview at the end of the game. So uh, good for the young man uh, right there. We will talk more Will Brennan. Uh, we've got an email question about Will Brennan uh, that we will get to. A lot of people on Guardians Twitter saying, that's my center fielder. Make that guy the starting center fielder because uh, Miles Straw is very hard to watch up at the plate. It's been brutal up at the plate lately. Uh, Straw grounds into a double play again in this one. Um, so, yeah, I could buy into that a little bit. I, I would be fine, fine if the Guardians 
went out and found some power-hitting right fielder, which we've been searching for all our lives, uh, and moved Will Brennan over as the starting center fielder. I like that lineup a lot better than what we're dealing with right now. Uh, let's see here. Over his last 30 games, uh, Miles Straw is hitting 240 uh, with a uh, just above 600 OPS, uh, which is pretty much around what he's doing for the season. Over the last 15 games, he's been a 188 hitter with around a 500, just over 500 OPS. And uh, over uh, the last seven games, it's a 182 hitter with, uh, again, just over 500 OPS. He's not even getting on base. He's a 217 on base percentage uh, over his last seven games. So it's been a tough stretch for Miles Straw, and it's pretty hard to watch. Uh all right, let's jump back now in time. Let's talk about the beginning of this game. Let's talk about the battle between Gavin Williams and Brady Singer. And I guess even though Brady Singer is having a terrible season, we keep doing this. We keep letting pitchers who come into this game with a, a plus six ERA coming into this thing. We keep letting them off the hook. We keep making them look great. We do it time and time again. And uh, again, Brady Singer goes six innings pitched. Four hits, no runs, two walks, only three strikeouts on 95 pitches. He is hard hit uh, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven times on 95 pitches, which frankly we've seen isn't, that's not a ton of 95 plus mile per hour exit velocity shots off of you. There's a moment in this game where there's like a weird pitch clock thing where the uh, home plate um gave him a warning and then the batter steps out and then he's ready to throw the pitch before the batter's even back in the box and the umpire yells at him again. And then the, the manager has to come out for Kansas City. They show a reaction shot of Brady Singer. Remember, he's the guy that got all pissed off and thrown out of a game last year. They showed the highlight earlier in the game. There's just a reaction shot of him where just he looks like so upset uh, at the umpires. And just, I don't know, he just has these crazy, rea- he has these, these, frankly, bad reactions. He gets pretty emotional out there. Uh, it just reminded me of frankly, Trevor Bauer and how his emotions like could get the best of him on a start and it would just implode him. Now, he doesn't implode in this game, but he definitely, the look on his face said he might have been close to that. Uh, but he hangs in there, gives them six innings. Now, on the other side of things, let's talk about our guy. Let's talk about Gavin Williams. Seven innings pitched, one hit baseball, no earned runs, one walk, Six strikeouts on 92 pitches. He's only hard hit five times. Possibly top three, top five starts of any Guardians pitcher so far this season. I mean, it was good. And what was working for him? Everything was working for him. Uh, Going over to the player breakdown page, uh, you know, it's not, uh, he doesn't hit the 40% CSW mark. Uh, it's a 22% whiff rate total on the day. They swung a lot. They swung 51 times. Frankly, they fouled off a ton. 25 foul balls, especially the four-seam fastball, which is the pitch he went to the most. Uh, 57 four-seam fastballs. They swing 31 times. They whiff eight times, so it's a 26% whiff rate. He gets 14 called strikes, so it's a 39% CSW on that pitch. And they foul off 18 of them. They can only put five in play. That's a pretty good pitch right there. The velocity average 95.6. 
maxed out at 97.7. So he was really throwing that thing with some gas. And all that swing and miss, those eight swing and misses right there, going back to the illustrator, they all came on fastballs up. They all came on things above the belt, at the letters, at the top of the strike zone. Uh, he's All uh, eight of them are from the top of the zone right there. So, I mean, we talked about it a little bit with Shane Bieber, and that's the advantage these young guys have over Bieber, right? Bieber is never going to get, probably never going to get that velocity back. If he does get that velocity back, frankly, we're all going to be a little suspicious about it. Uh, but these young guys have it still. Bybee, Williams, they can get that gas up there. 95, 96, 97 mile per hour fastballs. And uh, all eight swinging strikes come up there. He also gets a couple of swinging strikes on some sliders uh, that were down to the glove side. And then a curveball in the dirt. Uh, So what about the strikeouts? What pitches lead to those strikeouts? Well, it's all fastballs. Uh, He gets... uh, the curveball in the dirt does get Kyle Isbell. The other five strikeouts come via fastball. Uh, where was the one in the first inning? The very first batter of the game uh, strikes out on a fastball. I'm trying to find it here. Uh, I guess I can't. Oh, well. Uh, I think it was Prado, right? I think it was Prado. It's a 96.5 mile per hour fastball up at the shoulders and just blows it by him. Swings through it. He had no shot at this thing. Uh, you could feel it coming, right? You could feel that high fastball coming and that he was going to go down to it. Uh, he uh, he gets uh, Drew Waters in the third inning on a high fastball way up there. He gets Prado again on a high fastball high and away. This one was only 93.7 in the sixth inning. On an 0-2 count, he chases up there again. And then a couple of called strikes. He gets Oliverius right on the outside edge. Maybe got a call there. Uh, but uh, I feel like all night the ump was giving a pretty wide strike zone, was giving the edges to the pitchers. So he gets Oliveri's looking in the fifth inning, and he gets uh, Mikel Garcia uh, on a called strike. Again, freezes him at the thighs uh, with a 96.4 mile per hour fastball in the second inning on a 2-2 count. So he was definitely hitting his spots with the fastball. Uh, he was throwing some low darts uh, for called strikes, and then... Uh, throwing it high when he wanted those swinging strikes. Uh, let's just take a look at the called strikes, too. Uh, yeah, a lot of them, a lot of them on that glove edge, and a lot of them down and away for Gavin Williams. So that was his location kind of. He, he, he had both sides of the plate. I'll give him credit. He hit the arm side of the plate a couple of times, too. So really, really doing a good job of hitting those edges uh, for Gavin Williams. So, I mean, that's just a fantastic start. I mean, it just pumps you up with so much confidence uh, to see him come out. And now I know it's against Kansas City, but hey, it's still one hell of a start. And uh, I mean, they talked about they talked about uh, Cal Quantrill is coming back. He is scheduled to start on Friday, I believe. And they even said they're going to do a six-man rotation the first time through. The one advantage you have of a six-man rotation, I know it's a little strange, but they're worried about how many innings the rookie pitchers are throwing. Right? Steph, uh, Allen and Bybee have been up here for a while. Williams has been pitching, you know, since the start of minor league uh, you know, season. He's been throwing every five days. 
So Williams has thrown a lot of pitches this season too. A lot of innings. Uh, one way to mitigate that is to do six-man rotation. Uh, I guess you could do a five-man rotation and skip somebody every time through so that they kind of get like, you know, nine days rest uh, or something like that. There's creative ways to do it, but a six-man rotation is one way to make sure those guys throw a few less innings and they don't wear down by the end of the season. Um, So... It's going to be interesting to see what they decide to do here with Cal Quantrill coming back. Uh, I mean, even if you rotate these guys down to Triple A, they're still pitching every five days down at Triple A. So I, I don't know if that solves the issue of how many innings they throw, or do you just put them? You know, when they're down at Triple A and the games don't matter, can you put a, a five inning cap on them uh, as a starter? Uh, to save their arm a little bit. So uh, they have some interesting decisions to make on how they want to manage this for the rest of the season. But Williams absolutely shows he belongs as a major league pitcher. I mean, now he's faced Oakland and Kansas City. So, I mean, you want to talk about a soft open there. Uh, You can't pick two softer teams in Major League Baseball to make your Major League debut against. But uh, he definitely show that he is at this level. He is ready for major league hitters. Uh, he's got some nasty stuff and uh, it's a lot of fun to watch him pitch. And I, yeah, I want, I don't want to see any of these three guys go back down. I don't, they're too much fun to watch pitch. Uh, Savali and Bieber aren't going anywhere. I guess if anything, Savali could go, into the bullpen and be, or Cal Quantrill could go into the bullpen and be a long reliever. You could cap a guy at 80 pitches, maybe, uh, one of these young starters, and then go to Savali or Quantrill for three innings. That would be another creative way of doing it. Uh, Could Cal Quantrill do that twice a week? Uh, So there are a lot of creative ways of going about it. I know people said on you know Guardians Twitter in the conversation, Francona probably doesn't want to give up a bullpen arm. He's very, very much likes a deep bullpen to go to. But if Cal Quantrill or Aaron Savali were in that piggyback role situation uh, where they were doing more long relief, it would technically still be an arm in the bullpen for Perry Francona to use. So I don't know how the Guardians are going to handle this, but my God, Gavin Williams was fantastic on the night. All right, I mean, that's my thoughts. On a 2-1 game, that's about all I got for you here. Um, MVP on the day. I So an emailer will have something to say about this. I got to go with Will Brennan. I mean, three hits on the day, including that big, big moment in the ninth inning. Look, there's no way we win this game without someone stepping up with a big hit, and Will Brennan did it. So as good as Gavin Williams pitched, I'm going with Will Brennan as MVP on the day. You know, one thing I forgot to talk about in this game was Bone Naylor's amazing throw down to second base to catch a base runner stealing in that eighth inning. Uh, Stefan clearly missed that it was supposed to be a pitch out. Like, that has to be what happened here, right? Uh, It was supposed to be a pitch out uh, to get the runner uh, going for second. And uh, in that eighth inning, after the run had already scored, uh, it was uh, Nicky Lopez who was trying to steal second. They had him dead to rights. The pitch out was the perfect call. But Stefan instead throws a high fastball. Naylor has to make one of the most athletic plays you'll ever see as a catcher, leaping back behind the plate 
to catch it and then throw down and nail Nicky Lopez stealing second base. I, I, there's no metrics for this. There's no. It's just an, a fantastic athletic play that absolutely I don't think any other catcher uh, on the Guardians roster could have made this play. I, I mean, Cam Gallagher showed solid defense all year, but this is you know just a young man making an athletic play. So I got no numbers for that. I got no metrics for this. All I can tell you is that it's an absolutely superstar play by Bo Naylor. Another almost potential fatal mistake from Trevor Steffen, and Naylor saves him, absolutely saves him, and not only saves the throw from going to the backstop, gets the runner at second base too, throws an absolute missile to second base to nab Nicky Lopez. A low throw. Rosario gets the tag down. Uh, so I wanted to make sure I mentioned that. Uh, before we officially wrap up this game, because it was such a highlight reel play, uh, we definitely, definitely had to give Bo Naylor props for that. All right, let's jump over to the emails here. Our first email, uh, let's just go. Marlon had an interesting reaction to the game. Marlon in Birmingham, he is he is filling up the inbox for me. And uh, he said, this was an embarrassing and uninspiring offensive performance this team has had all season. Two hits, two measly hits, and the Royals almost won the game. This team should not have to rally against a bad team like the Royals for a comeback win. Gavin Williams absolutely dominated, and there's no excuse as to why he doesn't have his first big league win. He definitely is the co-MVP of the day along with Brennan. I respect the opinion, Marlon. I'm trying to be a little tough with my MVPs, and I I did single out Will Brennan. Uh... He said, honestly, the Guardians were very lucky. I'm surprised the Royals pitched to Brennan, who already had two hits, especially with Straw and Bo Naylor on deck. The bases would have been loaded with one out, but we know Tito would not pinch hit Straw. See Sunday's loss. Straw had already hit into a double play earlier in the game, and he did ground out in this at-bat. So you're right, it would have been a double play, but that would have been a bold, bold move to walk the bases loaded just to pitch to Miles Straw. I get it. I get what you're saying, Marlon. But, man, if it doesn't work out, that manager has to answer some serious, serious questions. And I know we've seen it done before with with hitters like Otani or, you know, like we're talking Barry Bonds-type hitters uh, here where you would just walk the guy no matter what the situation was, even to load the bases. But I don't know if Will Brennan is quite at that level yet of earning that respect, even though he was having a good game. Uh, so, yeah, so... Uh, Marlon, I appreciate uh, the thoughts. I appreciate the message on the game. And then we got another email from uh, one of our newest emailers, Barrio. Uh, he's got some uh, he's got some questions for us. So his first question is just Brennan exclamation point. He said, "Look, I know it's only been some big moments, but the dude has been consistently good as of late. In his last thirty games, he's hitting three thirty seven with a slugging over five hundred." Do you think he will put himself into the Rookie of the Year conversation by the season's end? I know that Corbin, the kid from Baltimore, and the catcher for the Mets have all been good, but I don't think Brennan is doing anything Quan wasn't last year, but hasn't been talked about nearly as much. You know, Quan did do some things that were just so unique, right? The, the fact that like what they they went like a couple weeks and he never even had a swing and miss. Uh, like th- those things caught national attention, like how disciplined he was in the strike zone. So it wasn't necessarily his batting average or his on base percentage. So Brennan might be matching what Quan did last year as far as the stats go. 
it was just the style that Quan was doing in it was so unique for a rookie hitter. Uh, so I think that's what captured national attention so much. Um, but Brennan is having a very good season. However, I looked, I went over to Fangraphs, I looked at the rookie numbers. He actually moved up this list. Uh, Brennan was, I think, like 28th or 29th when I looked last night. Now that the stats get updated, as far as F-War goes, as far as Fangraph's calculation of war goes, uh, he's moved up to 23rd uh, on their list of rookies at 0.7 war. Now, he's going to have a long way to get to the top. Uh, his WRC Plus also increased. I think he was only at like a something in the 70s. WRC Plus going into last night's game, and now he's up to a 94. Uh, remember, league average with a plus stat, league average is set to 100. So at a 95, a 94 WRC Plus, he's still a below average hitter, a league average hitter, and some of these guys are way up there, uh, including the top two uh, rookies in baseball right now. Corbin Carroll is absolutely killing it for Arizona. He's got a 150 WRC Plus. He's got a 3.6 WAR. 293 batting average. He's got an OPS over 900. Uh, he's really crushing. 17 home runs, 60 runs scored, and 44 RBIs, 23 stolen bases. Uh, he is really, really crushing it. Uh, but that's in the National League. How about in the American League? Who's in contention for the American League Rookie of the Year? Well, Luke Rayleigh of Tampa Bay. Uh, is up there. He's got 12 home runs, 37 runs scored, 28 RBIs. Uh, he's hitting 270 with also right around a 900. I think a nine, if I'm doing my head math correct here, a 910 OPS. Uh, he's got a 155 WRC plus and a 2.2 war. So he's your leader right now, probably in the American League. Josh Jung for Texas, who might start in the All-Star game. He's got 15 home runs. Uh, 53 runs scored, 45 RBIs. He's hitting 272 uh, with a just over 800, an 805 OPS. Uh, he's got a 122 WRC plus and a 1.9 war. So those two guys are kind of battling amongst the top. Uh, Gunnar Henderson from Baltimore is also at a 1.6 war and a 124 WRC plus. Uh, Ryan Noda in Oakland is at a 135. WRC plus and a 1.6 war. So you can see there's some guys ahead of him. Uh, Brennan uh, has, a, he's hitting 276. So the batting average is there. The OPS is only at uh, 709. Uh, so he's got some work cut out from there. He does have four home runs, um, 19 runs scored, 23 RBIs and six stolen bases. So Nothing really in the counting stats. Uh, nothing as far as batting average or, or OPS uh, really puts him at the top of the list. But that's not to say he's not having a really solid rookie season. And, uh, I mean, it's a long way to go. Uh, we could see. But I just, as far as some of these guys uh, who are hitting for power, they're probably going to catch voters' attention as far as rookie of the year goes. Um, his next question, one-run games. Uh, what's the deal? Why does every game have to be so dramatic? It seems to me that the Guardians are the only team in the league consistently with this problem. What are the driving factors of this? I don't have major thoughts on this, but I think this could be a ripple effect of how the new rules specifically affect how Tito runs a ball club. You know, I'm going to be honest with you. I think the reason for this is the lack of power. 
right? They don't hit the big three-run home runs uh, that kind of jump out to a lead or anything like that. They're always scrapping to get one run across, two runs across, and it keeps the other team in the game. I mean, that's it's got to be the lack of power uh, is the reason that they're in so many one-run games. And then he said, rookie pitching, he challenges me here, taking the three rookies after a masterpiece by Williams, where do you rank them one, two, three? And maybe for the fun of it, toss in McKenzie. I'd be curious if you think any of them could pass Tristan by any point this or next season. Um, so uh, Allen, Bybee, and Williams, right? Uh, and then maybe McKenzie in there. McKenzie, it's so hard to say. I mean, I haven't heard anything. I, I looked to see if there were any updates on his elbow, and there's been none. So I know we're all sitting here hoping it's not Tommy John surgery. But, man, you don't like to hear elbow things, right? That's that's not a good sign. Uh, as far as ranking these three go, I think I still have to go Bybee 1. I I have to go. I might have to go Williams 2 and Allen 3. Uh, Allen's been pretty consistent uh, since he's come up. But I don't think he has the same blow-it-by-him stuff that uh, Bybee and Williams have. Williams very easily could be number 1 by next season, uh, as far as this ranking goes. Um, McKenzie, he could pass McKenzie. Absolutely. I could see him and Bybee passing McKenzie uh, as a future, the future ace, the future leader of this pitching staff. I think as far as personality goes and as far as leadership goes, I think McKenzie will always have that role as, you know, getting there first before these guys. Um, and I think a lot of people on this team really respect Tristan McKenzie and look up to Tristan McKenzie. But, as far as pure stuff goes, um, I mean, Williams, whew, I, these these three guys, they have it. And Williams and Bybee have some have a really explosive fastball. Uh, Allen, uh, when he's being accurate, uh, you know, he's got some wicked stuff too. I, it's, it's good to have these problems right in Cleveland, right? It's good to have this much pitching. Uh, there are probably other young guys coming. Uh Joey Cantillo is going to be our only representative in the Futures game. So there's another starting pitcher that's coming. Uh, and you still have Doug Nikhazy. You still have some guys coming up, and you know they're going to keep drafting pitchers. You know they're going to keep trading. And if the Guardians do do anything at the trade deadline, you could probably assume there's going to be a young pitcher coming back in it. So, uh, yeah, it's it's nice to have, but that's, that's where I'd rank them uh, right now. Uh, Bybee, Williams, and then Allen. Uh, McKenzie, uh, McKenzie probably still at the top just cause he's, you know, has the experience, uh, over them, but with that injury, uh, they could very much pass him by, uh, if he's not around for a while. So thank you, Barrio. Thank you for the fun questions. It was fun to look into those rookies and see what's going on in the rookie of the year race and what the other rookies around the league are doing. Uh, we've seen some of these guys recently. Uh, but I had no clue. I never checked out to see where they're actually at here. So that's all my thoughts. Thanks for joining me on this Cleveland baseball morning. Again, the final from Kansas City. It's the Guardians 2, the Royals 1. Another 8-10 start on uh, Wednesday uh, on tonight, and it's going to be Allen on the mound uh, going up against Cox, a left-hander for the Kansas City Royals, who looks like he's making... His first start of the season. Oh, no. He's appeared in six games. It's not his first start of the season. Wow. He's got a zero ERA. Uh, he's appeared in six games. Maybe this is his first start. 
So I don't know if this is a bullpen game or what uh, from Kansas City. Uh, but this is going to be his first start of the season. Uh, so we'll see if this is a bullpen game uh, or if this guy runs a few innings. Uh, we'll see what happens on Kansas City's side. You can follow me on Twitter at Davey Barris. You can email the show at Mornings at gmail.com. Let me know your thoughts on the game, and we'll discuss them on the show. Also, I'm hosting this podcast on Spotify. If you go to the link in the show notes, you can leave a voicemail for the show. We'll play it back on the air, respond to your thoughts, and we'll have a fun conversation amongst the fans about baseball. So thanks again for joining me on this Cleveland Baseball Morning. Baseball Morning.